The Sit Rep Podcast is sponsored by Black Sight Studio, the creators of incredible pre-color terrain. Whether you're looking for terrain in 28 or 15 millimeter, they have a wide selection just for you. No matter the type of game, Black Sight Studio has exactly what you are looking for. They have new releases all the time and their catalog continues to grow. So the next time you're considering new terrain, jump over to Black Sight Studio and you will find just what you need. Remember to let them know you heard from us. Black Sight Studio, the official sponsors of the Sit Rep Podcast. You are listening to the SITREP Podcast, your home for everything related to modern wargaming. Whether it's reviews, rules analysis, play-by-plays, hobby time, or even gameplay videos, we will bring it all to you. And now for your hosts. From England, we have Ralph from the Great White North of Canada, Chris, our historical editor, Big Jim Ariskany, and G, both from the United States. And now, sit back, relax, and get ready for the ultimate ride into modern wargaming. Hello, everybody. This is G, and you're listening to the Sit Rep Podcast. And today, we've got a full table. And with us, as always, is Ralph from Merry Old England. Hey, folks. And Jim from sunny Florida. It is sunny today, isn't it, Jim? Oh, it's gorgeous today, yeah. Yeah, yeah, rub it in. I'm looking out the window, and it's rainy and miserable and cold. And we have, like, 72-degree like weather, and I should be at the beach right now. Yeah, yeah, rub it in, rub it in. Yeah, I know, it sounds like England right now, uh, where I'm at. It looks like, you know, I could just hop on a plane and be in England, and it would look the same. Um, and then with us today is a very special guest. Uh, this week, I've had a guest... Stay with us to experience a traditional American holiday of Thanksgiving. Uh, Gaz has come all the way over from England. Say hello, hello Gaz. Hello, everybody. How's it going? Okay, so uh, I know you guys on the other side might have a little trouble hearing Gaz. I'll try to make sure that he um, speaks up loudly so Ralph and Jim can hear him. Um, but we've got a lot to talk about. But first, I wanted to wish everybody a happy holiday season. Um, as the Americans have just rolled through Thanksgiving... And we're now starting our Christmas Yuletide celebrations around the world. And we wanted to sp- send a shout out to all the military members of all countries deployed around the world who couldn't be home for the holidays with their family. Um, so, Jim, did you have a good Thanksgiving? Um, yeah, it was all right. Can't complain. Yeah, good. Good. Ralph, I know you celebrate Thanksgiving as well because your wife is from the United States. Uh, and you do it today, is she it? She is. She's from Ohio. So... Uh, tomorrow we're going to do it. Oh, okay. I'm going, okay. To do, I'm going to do it tomorrow. So I've got the turkey, well, not the turkey, I've got the turkey breast and all the bits to do. So, yeah, that's Very tomorrow. Nice. Very nice. So, Gaz, we're going to ask you, what did you think of your first American Thanksgiving? Well, I ate until my pants burst. So I think <laughs> it went down pretty well. <laughs> that's the most important part. That's right. So, in true America uh, tradition, uh, we exposed gas to the American uh, Thanksgiving, and we did it in the right order. We did guns, and then we did uh, turkey. So uh, on Wednesday, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, we took him to an indoor range, and he got to shoot. What did we shoot? We shot my AR-15. Very nice, nice weapon system. Uh, we shot my M1A scout model in 308, which is an amazing rifle. 
Uh, we shot my lever action Henry rifle in 357. Peacemaker. Uh, we shot a uh, 45 like, long Colt like, Peacemaker. Henry, like like uh, like Martini, like Old West rifle. Old West lever action rifle. Nice. Yep. Um, so we shot that. We shot my 45 long Colt six uh, Peacemaker. Uh, we shot my Springfield XDM match grade pistol. That's my duty pistol. Uh, we shot my XD backup gun. Uh, we shot my SIG. Um, I think that was pretty much it, wasn't it? Yeah, that was it. Although we nearly shot something if they'd have had the ammo. Yes. So because Gaz is a very bad influence, every time I go into a store, because this is America, what? Uh, we went into a, uh, a gun store just to pick up some ammo, and sitting on the shelf was an, it was an 1865 Remington rolling block Breach loading 4570 rifle. So, and I'm like, it, it's it's kind of beat up, but it has potential. So I ended up buying a 19 or 1865 Remington rolling block 4570 rifle. Um, we were going to shoot it at the range, but the ammo they had was too powerful. It would have blown up the rifle. So we have to go get some regular government loads. So uh, that one we did not get to shoot. But it's got a pretty bayonet. It's got a big ass bayonet on it. So. I can't believe they would actually use these things in war. So, I mean, the thing with the bayonet was probably six feet long, so... It wouldn't fit in your gun case. No, I had to buy a special <laughs> gun case because it wouldn't fit in my gun cases I currently had. So, that was uh, uh, exposure for Gaz to uh, good old America uh, Thanksgiving. Guns, turkey, and, and gaming, right? God bless America. That's right. God bless America. Well, all right, guys. Let's get kicking into some modern stuff. Um, I got my cup of life juice here. Gaz is drinking Coke Zero, essentially. Um, I'm assuming, Ralph, you got a cup of brew? I have it, but I don't need one at the moment. <laughs> but I'm fine. So I, I learned the proper terminology. <laughs> I don't normally drink one. <laughs> I, got, I learned the proper terminology from Gaz that, you know, if it's not a cuppa, it's a brew, to which here in America, a brew for us is either coffee or a beer. So, you know, it took a little bit. He, you know, for an English guy, he talks awfully funny. You know, you think you talk English, but, you know, I don't know what they're talking. <laughs> anyway, so we got a lot he of... He talks talk. funny. I'm, I'm from the north of England, so, you know. <laughs> Unfortunately, so am I. <laughs> and it's, it's cup and it's cup up here. That's what my dad says. Do you want a cup So it's cup up here. <laughs> uh, anyways, so uh, let's get let's talk about some gaming-related uh, stuff. Um, before, speaking of uh, brew and coffee... Uh, while I was getting ready for this podcast, uh, I don't normally, you know, talk about other companies, but if you guys have not seen the most recent video from, um, oh, Black Rifle Coffee Company uh, about the last cup of coffee, you've got to watch the video. It's hilarious. So um, their coffee is very good. If you like coffee, that will take the paint off the walls. It's very good. They have very strong coffee, um, but the video is amazing. So... Anyways, check it out if you want a good laugh. Uh, and especially if you're in the military, you will totally get it. So uh, check it out if you get a chance. Yeah, go ahead. In any, of the, any of the other topics? There is a little bit of news dropped this past week. Okay, I don't go know if for you it. saw it. Yeah, go for it. Um, Spectre announced that they're moving their resins for their vehicles to another company. Oh, really? Was there any? Uh, um, which allowed, you, which will. Uh, uh, yeah, it's it's going to allow them to do more, so they'll have more in stock. Good, because I, I was. Literally... But also, they said, 
when they when this happens, I'm assuming it's probably going to be in the new year. They didn't put a time frame on it. Uh-huh. That there's going to be some new. There's going to be some re-releases. Of course, they're going to re-release stuff that's been out of stock for a while. Okay. Uh, there's going to be some new vehicles. Excellent. Well, I but, hope they get their supply. They didn't say what? Yeah, I hope they get their supply issue fixed because I was literally on it last two days looking to put an order because you know they have their Black Friday sale. And everything that I've pretty much wanted in some aspects is sold out again. I mean, as soon as they restock, it pretty much sells it right out. Yeah. So I'm hoping they'll up their inventory a little bit. So we'll have mm-hmm. to see. But um, I just got some Spectre Minis in. I got the Rangers. Um, I yeah, the Rangers. it's a nice set. Um, I want to get the Dev Grew and uh, mm-hmm. some SAS Anti-Terrorism. Um, I've been painting up... Mm-hmm. Um, the Meta Forces, and you know, like I said, it's some Taliban. So, but yeah, that's exciting news. So, yeah, I've got the post here. I'll actually read what the set is. Just a heads up from us before Black Friday, we have made the decision to move resin production out of house. The demand for the resin products, mainly vehicles and scenery, has been so high that our miniature designer, who was hard casting every single piece, isn't having time to make new miniature releases. It's, it's amazing that you all want these vehicles, but we feel that you deserve the best quality and stock levels, uh, which our new supplier will be able to provide. So in the meantime, resin products will be out of stock, so they're out of stock for the moment. But when they return, they will be, in a com- they will be accompanied by some, a few brand new releases, along with some old fav- favorites that have been in production for a while. Cool. We That's promise good. it's going to be worth the wait. Um, and also, Stephen released a new green on their Instagram. Uh-huh. They're doing another Baba Yaga miniature. Really? Yes. Excellent. There's a new green there's a new green coming of Baba a new a new version of Baba Yaga. So it's a different sculpt than the one that you got it was it at the US uh-huh. shows they did at Decon where they released Baba Yaga first. Yeah, yeah. And then they dropped it at um salute didn't they? So they're they're doing a new one. That's excellent. Um, I know another so company was doing uh, another edition of that as well. You know, John Wick yeah. based. Uh, mm-hmm. It was hassle free. I can't remember. Yeah, hassle, hassle free. Have released a green of, of yeah. a John Wick. They're doing. Yeah. And there's another one as well, um, which looks slightly different. There's another company doing one as well. So. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, let's talk a little bit of hobby. So Ralph, what have you been up to recently? Yeah, um, seeing Jim's really wonderful HK ops and making me jealous that I didn't get around to doing ours, but the one I want to do because of um, life. Yeah. <laughs> As we know, um, I've started writing up some stuff to possibly do in the new year. Um, I backed a Kickstarter this year um, from a from a company called. I'm just going to bring the page up called Black Cat Gaming, and they did a. They're doing a an espionage game huh. called the Spy Game. Okay. So it's you basically play action. I think Tom Clancy, James Bond sort of thing. Um, it's based on the Five E rules, which are D and D Fifth Edition. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got the beta rules. It doesn't come out until September, but I've got the beta rules. So I'm busy writing up some ideas and some things to possibly run a one-shot to see what people think of the rule system. Um, but we'll see what goes on. Uh, but I quite like it because it is D&D. It is 5th edition. Um, it's what I play. 
uh, not this. Um, it's going to be, you know, standard D&D, well, a D20, you know, things like that. But it's all set in, in a sort of a spy thing. So I've got a, an organization worked out where the players would work for a spy agency. Okay. But the spy agency won't be linked to any government. They'll probably be linked to the United Nations, which would allow then people from different nationalities. Uh-huh. So you're not limited to, say, playing the CIA, NSA, DEA, MI6, uh, any of those. You'd all, you can all be of different nationalities to come together to, to assist in protecting the world from threats that the UN um, sort of pick up on. But like, um, there was a Wesley Snipes film called Act of War, mm-hmm. um, where he worked for a similar sort of thing. The, the agency he worked for was technically linked to the United Nations. So, you know, that type of thing. But I've got some idea. I'm busy putting on and getting them together. Very cool. Very cool. Be interesting to see how that turns out for you. So, Jim, you've mm-hmm. been kind of busy lately as well. Um, yeah, can you guys hear me right now? Yeah, I can hear you perfectly. Yeah. All right, I had to move to another room and jump to another network. I'm still having pretty significant internet problems. So, if you guys didn't notice I was gone, all the better, but I'm back now. <laughs> Sorry if I missed anything. No, just talking, uh, catch up on a hobby. So, uh, I know you've been working on some miniatures, and then, you know, you have your HK op. So, why don't you fill us in on what's been going on with you? Um, yeah, so... With uh, a lot of the time off I've had lately uh, at work, I've been able to put some time actually in hobby for the first time pretty much all year. Um, yeah, there's that Team Yankee army that I've been talking about for a while. I say Team Yankee. Um, the uh, miniature sets are 15 millimeter, uh, 1 to 100 from Battlefront, originally for Team Yankee. The uh, Rhines Leathernecks um, set and also... Um, the LAV platoon, the U.S. Marine Corps, uh, 15 millimeter platoon. Um, and rather than build them as U.S. Marines in a theoretical 1985 uh, Germany, like you know, we see in Team Yankee, I've just gone ahead and built them in um, desert colors and then done some kit bashing to kind of update the vehicles, you know, where required to make them historically accurate for 1991 uh, Gulf War. Um, those are almost done. The vehicles are pretty much done. Uh, now I'm working on the infantry. Uh, we've got three M1. I'm sorry, M1s. Oh my God. Sorry about that. Uh, three M60s, uh, which I had to, uh, fabricate my own, um, ERA panels for cause the, the Ryan's blood next kids don't, don't come with those. Okay. Um, yeah, nor should they. Cause again, Ryan Leathernecks is for team Yankee. That's from the 1980s. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to use these for a slightly different purpose. So, you know, nothing against the kit. Uh, but in order to use them for this other purpose, I had to make some, some new pieces for it. Um, the ERA panels that go on the M60 battle tanks, uh, of course, the LA, the five LAVs I have and the LAV platoon. Um, you know, I did three of them with the normal uh, LAV 25 millimeter uh, automatic cannon turrets. And then instead, I, I, in addition to that, I did one with the, uh, the ITV uh, tow boom that you see on some of the M113s of the period. Um, those come with LAVs as well. So I did one like that. I did one as a mortar carrier. And then it also comes with six um, Humvees. I should say um, the M60s and the Humvees come in one kit. The LAVs come in another kit. And then I had to buy the infantry in the third kit. So I got those three done. Like I said, the vehicles are pretty much complete. Um, and now I'm about halfway through the infantry. I got six colors down on the infantry so far, which is kind of tough on 15 mil. Mm-hmm. But um, 
six colors on them so far. Now I'm going to do um, sort of my approximation of 1991 Desert Storm uh, American um, BDU camouflage. Uh, so far, that's coming out really good on the crewman of the vehicles. But that was like six guys. Well, then I'm going to go ahead and do that for like 55 infantry. <laughs> it's going to be another. Uh, it's going to be another question because it's really tedious. What were they? They call it like that chocolate chip uh, yeah. camouflage yeah. or whatever. Yeah, trying to do that in 15 mil is not. Uh, it's not not easy on the eyes. Not easy on the brain. Um, but it's it's coming out pretty good so far. Uh, and then I'll be moving over to my Iraqis. I've also finally got some parts in uh, for my boat that I've been working on forever. Uh, my boat had to go on on hold for a while because I wanted to put twin 20 millimeter automatic cannons on the back of that boat. This boat was an old SeaWorld toy I bought uh, on a trip to SeaWorld of all places. It used to be like a, some kind of like um, Greenpeace whale rescue boat or something. Um, <laughs> You yeah, turned it into as, an article of war from Greenpeace. Hilarious. Well, I took off the little cannon. Well, that's what they call that. Um, on the front of the of the boat, it's like perfect 20 millimeter scale. So it goes with my other moderns. My other modern, most of my moderns are in 20 millimeter, not 15. Um, but it's, it fits like perfect 20 millimeter. Like the, the pilot house has windows and, and doors on it. And you put the are my 20 millimeter figures next to the windows and doors and it fits perfectly. So... I said, I'll turn this into a 20 millimeter modern boat. Um, it's on the thread. It's all been painted. Um, the, uh, I built two additional little gun, 50 caliber gun positions up on the roof uh, of, of the pilot house, one to port, one to starboard. I have a swivel tw twin 50 calibers on the, uh, on, the, uh, on the bow. And that's pretty, that came out really good. I'm just hoping I can repeat that one more time with these two 20s, nice. 20 millimeters. And if I can do that, I'm going to have a nice little... I mean, it's not any kind of an official military boat, um, but it's it's going to be a badass little uh, badass little miniature. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm trying to stay hobby with I'm trying to stay busy with hobby. Uh, it's been a very lean year for me on hobby. I'm trying to get back into it uh, with mixed results. Um, these American Marines finally came out, although there were some parts that I had to do two and three times over because painting desert vehicles is actually pretty damn difficult. Um, in particular, the wash washing desert vehicles is, is no picnic um you can't do it the normal way you can't just you know spray it with some sort of a of a, of a gloss and then pace it with your uh, your um uh your wash expect it to come out looking right it's going to come out looking extremely dirty and cloudy because it's on a lighter base uh -huh. you know sand sand or, or khaki color or whatever is very different than doing something on you know uh, jungle green or anything like that um, but yeah, I've got some, uh, some more beats DR 60s in and some Iraqi infantry I have in, I'm going to go ahead and keep building those, uh, those I've had to source from a couple different places. Cause again, I'm trying to build a, a, an army that no one, to my knowledge, really sells a, you know, buy it in one box kind of a kit for, um, yeah. So I got my Shilkas from battlefront. Uh, I got my T-54s from battlefront. I've done T some T-54s, I slightly upgraded, uh, Type 59 uh, uh, version twos, uh, Chinese knockoffs. Um, there were about 1,500 of those in service for the, uh, the first Gulf War back in 1991. And uh, again, just a little bit more kit bashing um, to try and you know get this close to uh, a 1991 uh, Gulf War sort of a table. Um, yeah, and that and then you know HK Ops as always. Um, we had another session of that a little while ago. That went really really well, I think. Yeah. Um, once we got through the, you know, our typical internet problems, 
Um, but, um, yeah, things are going pretty good. Uh, I've been staying pretty busy and, uh, it might kind of come, I might have to take my foot off the gas pedal a little bit, uh, going forward. I'm running out of vacation days. I'm kind of using up all my end of the year vacation days. Mm. And of course, you know, the holidays, yeah. the holidays eat up a lot of time. Um, but other than that, yeah, it's been a pretty productive, uh, November and uh, early December. So hopefully that continues. Excellent. So for your um, Iraqi early desert storm, what rule set are you thinking of using to play? I honestly don't know yet. Okay. I honestly don't know yet. Okay. Um, I mean, Team Yankee would be the obvious answer. I might start with that because these kids come with all the cards and so on. Sure. I've got the basic Team Yankee rule book. Um, and uh, I don't know. I don't know. I may just use them for photos um, because Honestly, if you wanted to do uh, a 1990 war in, in miniature, uh, first of all, I mean, probably not. <laughs> but if you had to do it in miniature, it would be in, you know, in six. Yeah. Uh, ten at the most. Fifteen is, is big. So, I mean, these miniatures are great. I'm going to, you know, I, I'm going to put them in my display case or whatever. I can maybe use them for photos uh, for either articles or op centers or who knows what going forward. But um, using them on a table, I mean, certainly not all of them. I might use like a little, you know. That's why I am building a lot of infantry. I'm building like 50 or so American infantry and at least 50, maybe 75 Iraqi infantry. Yeah. And then maybe like a tank or two on each side. Um, obviously, I'm not building the big 73 East thing, you know, U.S. 7th Corps uh, stuff that take place, you know, further out. The British were involved in, I think they called the Battle of Norfolk. Um, all this stuff out that was out further out to the West, the big open desert battles. Uh, the Marines were over on the, uh, over on the East flank. And these were um, through Kafji in January of 1991, and then through the southern part of Kuwait City, driving toward the airport uh, when Operation Desert Storm started. That actually does have some significance on the table, I think. It might actually provide me a little bit of a way out because the, the lines of sight and the engagement ranges in these more built-up areas where the Marines were fighting, is uh, the, the lines of sight are going to be a lot shorter. So I might be able to get a 50-millimeter table put together and not have it look just completely silly or whatever. Um, I, might, I might use Team Yankee or you know something of my own for that, um, but uh, yeah, for for the really big desert battles out, out further west, Medina Ridge, seventy three East things, stuff like that. Yeah, honestly, I would go back to uh, uh, the new updated Panzer leaders like Toshesh Miniatures does. Okay. You know, go back to X Counter so that because you're talking about two thousand, three thousand, some cases four and five thousand for the new toes engagement ranges. Um, you're going to do that in, you know, 15 millimeter, you know, <laughs> uh, it's going to be, unless they're like some sort of off board mission or something, maybe they can kind of get away with it like that. But, um, yeah, we'll see. Um, I do have some, some army stuff. I also, I'm also putting together for, uh, for desert storm. Um, and, uh, of course I always have my, uh, war on terror, 2003 forward stuff in 20 millimeters. So that's, that's mostly us army. I have a 20 millimeter M1. Lots of uh, American infantry, uh, 20 millimeter uh, Bradley, uh, and stuff like that. Again, now I have my my 20 millimeter Blackhawk, which is absolutely enormous. <laughs> I think it's like 15 inches from the tip of the rotor to the tip of the tail boom. It's gigantic. I don't know when I would ever use that as a quote. I, I, I say I say miniature. The damn thing's you know over a foot long. Um, <laughs> it's practically a piece of terrain. Yeah. Uh, but it's uh, uh, yeah. It's 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 coming together, so you know we'll see where it goes. Awesome. So Gaz, what have you been doing for your week off, spending it here besides eating turkey and shooting guns? 
What have you been doing hobby-wise? Uh, well, unfortunately, I've been press-ganged into doing some uh, Harry Potter miniatures. I say unfortunately, actually, they're quite nice models, so I've not minded too much, um, which has been really cool, but it's not really modern. <laughs> um, been looking at the uh, new miniatures that I brought over. Um, uh-huh. They've been really cool. Um, really enjoying, um, when I did the research on them, how much effort the guys that designed White Dragon miniatures have actually put into it. Yeah. So when I looked at both the uh, British troops and the Taliban, because they currently do these two as their only forces at the moment, um, you get three head options uh, for both forces, So such as you get the para scrim or the normal scrim, or you just get a standard helmet for the British uh-huh. and for the Taliban insurgents. Uh, you get a traditional headdress, you get a turban, or you get a face covering. Um, and so it means you can really mix up your force, even if you're getting the same body section of models with the head changes, you get some really nice looks. Uh, to be honest, it was a really nice way of testing if I wanted to get the models or not myself by buying them for somebody else. This means I'm now going to buy them twice because I do really <laughs> like what I got. Um, and they do, they are transitioning into some other things as well. They've got a Foxhound vehicle now for the British as a support to get you on site and give you top cover. Uh, the Taliban, as is here, have two motorcyclists, yeah, yeah, which is really cool. And the bikes are really nice, exactly what you'd expect. You know, a really cheap shot of old rickety thing going up and down the road. Um, and more recently, uh, I spotted the guy at Salute at the show. And uh, there he had an Israeli tank in full resin that was the master. So I think we're going to be seeing some more stuff coming from them. And it's um, it's such nice quality stuff that I'm looking forward to seeing more. Do you know which tank it was that they were... Was I didn't, because um... I only caught a glance at it, to be honest. Okay. Um, I could find out, but uh, yes. The... Jay, sorry, the White Dragon miniatures, the tank that they showed off as salute was the Israeli one. Jim, what's it called again? Is it the Murva or something? Uh, the Merkowiff, I'm, I, I'm having yes. a tough time hearing gas. It's probably, it's, if it's an Israeli modern yeah. tank, it's probably one of the four major versions of the Merkava. It was. Okay. Yeah, it was the, they had a Merkava and they had some Israeli um, troops as well that they've shown off previously. I think they had them in a case at um, Salute. Yeah, that's the ones. That's the ones. So, yeah, they're definitely branching out. They've already got a good baseline. They have a good production process. The models are nice. So looking forward to seeing more from them for moderns. Yeah, they're they're really nice. So uh, hobby wise, for this week since I've been off for most of the week is you know I've been painting up the Taliban. Um, I've done two so far from White Dragon. They're the um, co- you know covered heads, uh, one with a drag off sniper rifle and just another one with an AKS. I think it is. Um, and they are really nice miniatures. They go together really well. They're pretty clean and crisp on detail. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. But the kind of amazing thing is I haven't been painting them with traditional paints. I've been using the new GW contrast paints. Um, we, Gaz kind of talked me into buying some, so we bought some and I've been painting those. So I've painted those up. It takes literally like 15 minutes to paint a mini. You know, obviously it's not competition standard, but it's good enough for tabletop and looks good. Um, so the contrast paints, I you know, it's it's a really interesting formula, kind of like a wash inkish type paint. Um, and prior to that, the night before, I painted what I did five six uh, meta forces in a, in an hour. Yeah, you really um, smashed through them. So you know, twenty eight mil. Yeah, twenty eight mil. 
Thanks. Yeah, so, you know, um, because we wanted to try and do a, um, what was I going to say, a test play of a rule set we're going to talk about here shortly um, about those. So I've been, I've painted up some MENA forces. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know what MENA is, it's Middle East, North Africa. And um, so I did some Taliban, um, and I did a test paint of a traditional, uh, what do they call it? Well, it's the Zulu War British. You know, I think they call it the Anglo-Zulu War, you know, to be politically correct, but the Zulu War. Uh, I did Color Sergeant Born just to see how the colors laid down, and they look really great. Um, so, I mean, it's going to get you to the table really quickly. Yeah. And you can still go over them after, you know, with layer paints, if you're not happy with the final standard, you can just do some highlights, bring them up even further. But to get you to the table, especially like Jim, yourself, you were talking about how many you need to do. I was going to say anything that can help me paint large numbers of infantry quickly. I can't. I love painting tanks. I hate painting troops. <laughs> but so we did discover one thing. These are contrast paints are really made for deep, detailed, you know, especially like miniatures, uh, troops, this stuff. Yeah. I would not use them on vehicles uh, because right. you're going to get a muddy, brush strokey. I mean, we bought them medium to help smooth things out, but for large panels and stuff, I would not use it. It just would not come out right. You, you know, you have to go back to traditional paints. I if, you, if you are working on modern military vehicles, even in 15 mil, even in 10 mil, I've never really tried one in, 20, in 10 mil. I have some 10 mil I'm going to start painting. But even in 15 mil, you have to use an airbrush. Yeah. Yeah, an airbrush is always yeah. like a nice, a nice uh, you know, addition because modern vehicles, I mean, you look at most of them, even Soviet vehicles, they, they have those round domed turrets, the, beach, the sides of the BTR, the big flat panels on the BMPs, and of course, anything Western, the Leopard, the Challenger, the, the Abrams, big wide flat panels, and almost everything now is in a desert color which means light colors, which means it is going to be completely unforgiving in mistakes in wash, especially brush strokes. You have to do it with an airbrush. Yes, you really definitely. Do. Yeah. I have not tried yeah, to definitely. contrast through uh, an airbrush yet. Um, I know it does go through airbrushes. There have been reviews on that. How's that? It just doesn't sit like you would expect from the contrast paints in the normal brush process. It sits like any other spray paint would. It's even on all surfaces oh, okay. rather than contrasting. So, yeah, we'll have to check that out. But uh, the contrast paints, uh, if you're looking to do, you know, a lot of minis in a short period of time to a tabletop standard, I definitely would recommend them. Um, so far, so good. I'm, And it's kind of hard for me to say that because I've never been a big fan of GW paints. I don't like the pots because I spill them all the time. Um, but Yeah, at the I'm definitely not a fan of the pots. I've got a bunch here because there's... On the White Dragon miniature, I think it was on the White Dragon miniature's Facebook page. There was a guy posted up some paint, um, uh -huh. some of them painting a set, a full set of the Brits with the scrim helms. Uh huh. And I like the camo scheme, so I went and got. He put a list up of the paints he used and how he did it. There's a guide. Okay. Um. So I went and bought the Games Workshop because he used Games Workshop. So I went and bought those colours because I wanted them matched. Because I tried to match them with Vallejo and it wasn't as good. Um. So that I've got I've got the SAS rural with a sniper team primed in the base, uh, Zandri dust ready to go over the top with, to do the camo scheme on with them. Sure. Because I thought that works. It's it's better than doing another set of Spectre miniatures with green multicam. I'm getting tired of looking at green <laughs> multicam to try and paint it. 
Yeah, I've got about I've got I've got about seventy five Iraqis I can send over to you. You don't have to do those in Greek. No, thank you, Jim. I've got it. I've I've got full sitting. Yeah, twenty eight millimeter Spectrum in Easter paint, um, including that. But I do agree with what Jim said there about any vehicle. Airbrush is a godsend. When I did that Humvee, when I got that very first airbrush, I got the test one with uh-huh. the little compressor. That's what I did that Humvee in, and it's only two colours. Uh, it was a base green and then a khaki over the top to do the like the striped camo. Uh, the airbrush was a lifesaver. I couldn't have done that. Yeah, yeah, you definitely got to uh, do an airbrush. That, yeah, that, matter of fact, with um, anything other than airbrush. Today, after we're done, at some point today, I promised Gaz I'd take him through a basic airbrushing because he's interested in getting one. So I'm going to let him try using one of my airbrushes and giving it a, a playthrough. So yes, definitely. If you're doing any kind of vehicles, you really should use an airbrush. It helps with, um, you know, undercoating and stuff too. You know, depending on what you're doing. So I love my airbrushes. I definitely. And right now, Badger Airbrush is getting ready for their 56th birthday sale. I haven't seen it. It's supposed to start already, but I haven't mm-hmm. seen a notice on it yet. Um, where you can buy any airbrush for 56 dollars. Um, that's not bad. Yeah. Sold, I think, is my term for that. Sold Needing an airbrush, <laughs> and that being the case, I think they've just sold their first one. So um, I gotta see, check back on my email, see if I've got the link yet. So if you guys are interested in airbrush, now it's time to get into a badger airbrush. Now the only downside to it is, it's going to take several months for you to get it um, because they hand build them as they order them. And like last year's sale, I didn't get my airbrushes. I ordered them in December. I didn't get them until April or May. Um, you know, because they build all of it and they had an enormous amount of, uh, orders. So, but you know, for $55 as last year's sale, you couldn't beat it for, you know, something that normally runs twice, if not even more than that. So, um, I'm really looking forward to that. So we did the white dragon miniatures. So if you're looking for some good Taliban or British, definitely check out white dragon miniatures. Um, nice, clean resins. I like them a lot. Um, I ordered, like I said, I just got some Spectre um, Rangers, U.S. Rangers. So I'll be pr- uh, painting those up. Um, what else do we do this week? Oh, so we played uh, Lock and Load Tactical, uh, Day of Heroes. That's the Mogadishu set. Um, Gaz read the rules and kind of took me through it. Uh, the rules were a little bit... What would you say? There's a, there's a lot of rules to it. Once you've got it rolling, uh-huh. you're not too bad. But just getting through that, that first stage of if you're learning the rules yourself, uh, you just need to stick with it. And then as soon as you sit down for that first game, it all starts to come together. Yeah. And we definitely learned a few things. One, um, get the X maps if you can. Now, the X maps are the extra large version of the map that comes in the game itself. Um, it allows you to... Put your uh, counters in the same square, but you don't have to stack them so you can see them a little bit better and the graphics are a little better. It's just gives a better uh, gameplay experience. And then uh, Gaz played um, the Somalis, yep. and I played uh, the Rangers. And I had a Ranger, and then I had a down-to-air crew. It was, you know, a race to the aircraft, you know, in six turns and yada, yada, yada. Um, and I made it. Barely in six turns, uh, because he had to capture the helicopter and hold it till the end of this turn, or just by numbers. Yeah, turn um, five, I came in, managed to take out the downed crew because yep. they were an easy target, uh, and get onto on site. But there is also a spec ops sniper in position. Yeah, there was a Delta sniper. Yeah, he lit me up. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sounds pretty familiar. Yeah, right? <laughs> so uh, my Rangers had to start from, you know, basically, you know, several streets away. And we had to fight through the city, just like in the story. And I had a Delta sniper that was with the air crew. Um, and the rule said the air crew could not leave the crash site. But they were very exposed on the middle of the road. So I took the Delta sniper and I put him in the building just kitty corner from the crash site. So he had a better range uh, and, you know, area of fire um, and to protect. But the problem was, you know, there were so many Somalis and he came around and did a flanking maneuver and came up behind me and then took out the air crew because, you know, their um, attack factor and stuff was not that great. And, you know, and by that time, but, you know, we made the Somalis pay for it. So, you know, they did pay for it, and we ended up winning the game in the last turn. So it's a really good game. I'm looking forward to playing some more on that. Yeah, they have an interesting use of mobs. There's actually large gangs uh -huh. of uh, Somali civilians that the Americans, if they engage them, uh, the mob disperses, or if they move onto their square and, and finish on their square, the mob will melee against them, or they can even move through them, in which case they disperse as well. But if they disperse by any means... Uh, the Somalis gain a victory point. Yeah. So you got these four mobs that are kind of keeping you off the roads because I control them, so I can limit the angles of, of movement and force you through harder, um, lower uh, sort of terrain features that mean that your movement's not as, as far as it should be, uh, and that will slow you down based on a six-turn game. That's critical. So once I got used to how to move the mobs, they were really useful. Uh, as an asset for the Somalians. Yeah, it was, it was really interesting. So, uh, looking forward to doing some more of that. And then today, at some point, uh, Gaz and I are going to play a game of Panzer Blitz. So, what? Yep. Wait a minute, James. You're, <laughs> playing, you're, playing, you're playing Panzer Blitz and I'm not there? I know, right? You've officially cheated on me, Jim. We're done. <laughs> we are done. I don't know you anymore. Jake? Just as, just as well as um, when you mentioned lock and load tactical, that sort of clicked something in my brain. That's the same company, Lock and Load Publishing, yep. are behind Storming the Gap, which was the Kickstarter backed. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah. Which um, is World at War 85, which is the Hexed Encounter, the Hex um, basically storming the gap. So it's Russian, Russia ruling over Germany. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's shipped, actually, I think. It's. I keep getting these notifications this past week of Kickstarters finally shipping. <sighs> well, I've got a few I'm still waiting on, so uh, hopefully we'll see some movement yeah. soon. But, uh, yeah, so we're going to play a little Panzer Blitz today. Um, so you're playing Panzer Blitz out of the box? Out of the box, Jim. Straight out of the box. Oh, it's not going to be... It's, okay. Yeah, we're just going right. to do the intro scenario, So, because um, he's never played it, and it's been a long time since I've played. So just going to play it right out of the box. So... Cool. Yeah, and you know, if you have your Jim Ariskany updated rule set, it will always be happy to try that out too. Because I know you made a lot, several tweaks to the rules. So um, yeah, it's pretty much just Arab. There's just a couple. Th okay, um, I believe opportunity fire rules in Air and Panzer Blitz are an optional rule. In uh -huh. the, in, in, just please take that option. Okay. You, you almost you almost have to because when a Panzer Blitz was originally published in 1970. Uh, of course, there was no internet back days, but they used to have, you know, I'm sure you remember uh, the General Magazine. Yes, yeah. And some of the other gaming magazines that were around back in the day. And um, it's picked up an unfortunate um, nickname called Panzer Bush. 
uh, yeah, because people would be able to, you know, it's it's not a perfect game. It's the really the first game of its kind. It came out almost fifty years ago, so it's 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 up there in age, um, as far as game systems go. And um, so it has to be kind of looked through through it has to be looked at through that lens. Um, but if you don't use the opportunity fire rules, if you cannot fire during the enemy's movement phase, the enemy will, uh, or it, it becomes very easy for, for players, even if they don't mean to, to really abuse the terrain system. Uh, where it's like, I'm in the woods, I'm out of the woods, I'm in the woods, I'm out of the woods, I'm in the woods, you can never see me, even though you're right in front of me 200 meters away, you know, every hex is 250 meters. Um, and it leads to some very unfortunate uh, results. Uh, some of the way, the, the artillery system is completely backwards. Um they fixed a lot of this in uh, Panzer Leader in 1974, and they fixed the rest of it in Arab Israeli Wars in 1977. Mm. So when most people play Panzer Leader or Panzer Blitz, whatever you want to call it, um, even in World War II, what they're usually doing is playing Arab Israeli Wars, and they retrofit those that rule system back into uh, back into Panzer Blitz. Gotcha. But if you're yeah, but if you're just doing like the first couple, like those old like golden colored cards, yep, I'm, that's I'm what we're doing. Yep, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, don't do a uh, gas. Do not let her take you into number 10. Provka. Don't, don't do it. Understood. Don't do it. You're going to look at all those big cats. There's tigers and panthers. You're going to be like, Oh yay!" And then there here come hundreds of T-34s. Yeah. Um, <laughs> start with one of the smaller ones. And yeah, just, um, I mean, don't worry about the artillery system. The artillery system you're going to find almost very quickly is like, wait a minute. The more guys I pack into a smaller area, the less vulnerable they are to artillery. It's like, yeah, it's, it's panzer boats, you know, um, again, errors really worse did fix that, but as long as you adapt, I, I think in the original, I don't have the rules right in front of me, but if in the original rule set, I believe opportunity fire was an optional rule. As long as you take that option and you use the opportunity fire rules, yeah, you'll have you'll, your, your game will be fine. The artillery will be a little weird. Other than that, you're fine. Yeah. And just, just pretend you're fighting on 100 meter hexes instead of 250 meter hexes and you're fine. Um, because the ranges and the movement rates are completely out of whack. But um, if you, again, it's all at a scale. So just pretend that it's like 100 meter, 150 meter hexes, and use the opportunity fire rules, and yeah, you'll you'll have a good game for sure. Excellent. Well, it just brings back memories to you know when I was a kid and playing with my dad and uncle, and it's nice. I do have to order two new copies because I have both Panzer Leader and Panzer Blitz. So I pulled them out. I'm like, yeah, we're gonna play. Yeah, I opened up Panzer Blitz, and you know it's an older used game. It's not my original copy. I don't know what ever happened. I bought these off of eBay from somebody. And it's kind of beat up. The box is beat up. The boards are kind of beat up. So I'm like, eh, okay. You know, but it's playable. Then I ordered the, uh, opened the Panzer Leader box to discover no map boards, no rules, counters, and rules for Panzer Blitz. So I essentially have two sets of Panzer Blitz and no Panzer Leader. So... <laughs> I know, I'm like, so now i got to order a new, so I'm going to look for, like, brand new in the box. Yeah, I'm going to pay for it, but at least I'm going to have good copies of it. So, or just wait to Historicon next year and go to the basement and see if yeah. I can pick up a couple, you know, really good copies. Yeah, brand new in the plastic for, like, 70 bucks. Yeah, that's not bad, actually. You know, for, so, for brand new, yeah. uh, $50 game, 50-year-old 50, uh, 50 game. Yeah, so... Um, a lot of this stuff is also available online if you don't mind uh, printing it out, especially the rules. Okay. Um, but, um, yeah. So, yeah, uh, we're going to give that a shot today. Um, looking forward to that. So, it's uh, been a great gaming week. So, let's change gears. It's now time to dive deep into a new rule set. 
that was sent to us by the guys. It's Dead Eye Games, I believe it is. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, it's called Contact Front, and I'm going to open up my phone here to give Gaz the PDF. Uh, they sent us a review copy, and I sent it to you, Ralph, and I think I sent it to you, Jim. Yep. Uh, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to really look at it, but we've been discussing it since last night, Gaz and I. And, Jim, you know, obviously I always like your initial impressions when you find information. Um, so, Contact Front is a modern rule set based on Afghanistan-ish time period of 2001 to 2006. Um, it's mostly British and Taliban forces. I think there is an American contingent, uh, army list in the back of the book. It's based on platoon company and does it go to battalion level? Yes. Was um, it? I think there is an option. Yeah. yeah. I think so you, you did list scale battalion. up or down. Um, I can't imagine playing 20, well, it says you can play 15, 20, 28 millimeter. Um, so my first observation was, it says you can play these scales, but it doesn't change the ranges or anything based on scale. So a lot of games do that. Yeah. So it's it's so my my opinion the opinions on this episode of Sit Rep are our opinions. So please take it for what it's worth. Um, I you know maybe seem to come across a little harsh at times on this review. And it's not meant to be. It's just my personal observations. Um, I'm not saying don't buy this game. I am, you know, not trashing it in any way. I know it sounds like I'm getting ready to go drill searching on this game, and I am not really going to. Um, it's just observations. You know, from my initial observations, we have not play tested it yet. We might get a short game in today. You know, we now that I've got some stuff painted up and put together. So, first things first. The layout of the book. What did you think of it, Gaz? Um, I quite liked the the mix. It doesn't give you too much information in a single block. It breaks it down with a, a supporting table as well as artwork. Um, so the, the layout itself has um, uh, a logical mm -hmm. uh, process to it, which yep. I like. I like that about rule books. Yep. Um, I like how, again, it's always needed at the end. You want your list of tables so you've got easy access. Um, and that's always really good. Um, I think um, an index always helps. This one doesn't have it, but it does have quite a good initial um, by chapter layout appendix at the front. Uh -huh. um, but for me, I like a keyword index as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we should start off saying that Gaz actually has experience with games and rule books and stuff because you know he used to be part of a company that produced a miniatures war game. Um, you know. Um, it's a great game, and you know um, now it's owned by uh, Walla, uh, War Cradle Studios. War Cradle recently Studios. bought it this year, so, yeah. and that's being reprocessed now and brought out to a larger stage. Yeah, which is good. You know, sometimes when you're a small independent company, you understand for the growth of your game, if it's something you put your heart and soul into, that sometimes giving it, you know, an offering up to a bigger company that has more resources can help the game grow. And uh, it was a very solid game. Uh, which game was that? Uh, Mythos. Yeah. We were Paranoid Miniatures, and uh, now that, like I say, that's with War Cradle. They have been doing releases. They've already done some of the new miniature releases, scaled it up a bit. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what they do with it. They yeah. even do the scenery for it as well. Yeah, excellent. So Gaz kind of knows what he's talking about when it comes to rule books and rules and things. So uh, so you you like the layout for the most part? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Ralph and Jim, do you have any insights into the layout of the rules at this point from what you were able it's, to see? 
It, it layout seems fine. I mean, it's a typical one. You've got your table of contents, you know, in the front, breaking down the, you know, the, the key core element of movement shooting, you know, command control. So, you know, the, 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 the core rules, shall we say, of most games are, you know, how do you move? How do you shoot? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, isn't it? You know, all game, all modern wargaming or wargaming generally is built around how do you move? How do you kill the opponent? You know, so nothing but there, but I do think that the you know table of contents fine index always useful yeah really always useful so you can pinpoint that thing that was one of the things i think a lot of people picked up on when spectre released second edition yes was you got an index in yes, and you yeah, got your yeah, toc which everybody read yay you know, yeah. give you know so indexes help so um moving with this rule set i don't know the background of the creators of the game um you know, obviously there's some military connection there somewhere. Gas pointing out it sounded like the, one of the authors or multiple authors of the rules has uh, experience in the British military. Yeah, um, mainly due to where you've got the items in bold, they kind of do a narratory as if this is a, a, a training environment for a new platoon commander. And the a lot of the references within that are very military, very stuff I recognize uh, being in the military myself. So, yeah, the, the references to PTIs, physical training instructors, how they would word, mm. how they would shout at you and how they <laughs> wouldn't is correct. So let's put it that way. So um, so there's always that angle. So now then the, when you look at the rule set overall, I, I try to determine are they going for a fast and easy gameplay system? Are they going for... Um, you know, more of a military simulation type game. Uh, you know, what is the target audience for this rule set? My opinion at this point in time, with a, again, I'm going to put the asterisks on it and say I have not actually done test play, but just reading and kind of doing a playthrough in my head. Um, there's a lot of space in my head, so there's you know plenty of room for miniatures. Um, is that it's more of a general purpose modern themed rule set versus a mo military, modern military simulation game. Um, would you get that impression, Gaz? Is yeah, he definitely references this as a framework to play within and adjust and test and adjust how you want as well. Mm -hmm. So he gives you a, pretty much as much information as you need to then take out what you would like. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, Jim or Ralph, if you had any initial observations as you know what the target audience for this rule set would be. I think I, I'm, I'm probably going to lean towards what Gaz was saying when I've had a quick skim through and stuff. And I know there's a couple of the people I know, a couple of friends I've known, finally getting their hands on the physical book. Uh -huh. It's starting to be delivered, shipped. Um, Carl, who we, you know, who we mentioned and occasionally inter uh, sort of interacts on the Facebook page. I know he's got his copy now because um, I just dropped messages on Facebook saying we're doing a review so <laughs> for, uh, <laughs> for ready to listen to this when it comes live um, but I'm going to lean with, with Gaz on that I think it's a framework I think it's a, it's a set of rule set that you could move around in a time space um, so you know you could set it two years say in the future from uh, where we are now or you could set it you know or uh, the same way where Jim's uh, Marine Force is going to be. So first Gulf, Gulf War, you know, you could you could do that. I think it gives you that that flexibility within the set to do that. 
probably with some tweaking to do with weapons and things like that, which might be different if you go decide to go further back. Um, but it's, it's the same with most game systems yeah. now. I think most mo- most game systems, and when I mean modern, I mean as in with a modern setting, Spectre, Sangin, this, uh, Black Ops, you know, are frameworks uh-huh. that allow you to, to slot in a setting. So, you know, you could take Spectre and drop it into Vietnam. You could take, you know, Black Ops and throw it into the future type of thing, you know, with, with some tweaking. So I think that's what they're aiming at. Okay. Um, so some of the other observations. Um, and Jim, this is where, you know, your expertise comes in. Um, weapons table. The weapons table. So there, is a, there are ranges listed on the weapons table. Um, for a example, so again, this is... I'm going off 28 millimeter for scale on this. Uh, weapons table, um, I don't have it in front of me, Gazza. So let me borrow the phone here for a second. I've got it in front of me, G. Okay, so weapons, so an assault rifle, um, just a breakdown, they have, they name a weapon, so in this case an assault rifle, it has a firepower of one, an individual range of 30 inches and a section range of 40 inches and examples of this is an SA-80, an M-16, an AK-47. So, I don't... fire. Okay, so let's talk about the range. Jim, what is 30 inches in 28mm scale? Um, I'm figuring it out right now. Uh, it's basically 30 times 56, and then you just divide that by 12 again. Um, depending on how... Now, there's an important... Uh, okay, so first of all, I, I wish I could participate more meaningfully in this conversation. Yeah. I open up that email. That email does not have any content in it. Oh. So I, don't, I do not have a copy of that. Well, uh, I'll send it to you right now. Okay. Now, um, a quick, and, and Gaz, if you can hear me, you know, uh, while Jesus opened up the email, or uh, Ralph, you've got the book, so, you know, let me know. Yeah. When you have a unit in this game, is it WYSIWYG? Is it one guy with an AK, or is it like a team of four or a squad of nine or something? It's, uh, it's one per one from going off the army lists, because yeah. the army lists have, um, you've got, say, five teams of four guys, so it's a corporal and three guys. They yeah. have, like, two L85s, a law. Okay, yeah. hold on. You have four miniatures for that. Yeah, you yeah. can go up to sections. Okay, yeah, so they so, split so it down into one. two uh, fire teams and then a section um, uh, moving as a group. So they have a, a one-inch um, coherency as well. Because there is, um, when it comes to weapons ranges, there's, um, I mean, in, in the real military, there's there's maximum range and then there's effective range. An effective range is a, a pitiful fraction of what maximum range is. Um but then in wargaming, there's what what I call a unit range. Okay, so um, as far as one guy with an M16 or an AR or who knows what, you know, an assault rifle of some description, firing at one target and trying to hit that target and put that target down, an AR15 should be you know um, 500 meters max. Uh, that's what we trained on uh, back in the day. That's assuming the enemy's in the open and standing still and so on and so forth. And then after that, the ranges are going to be, you know, going down from there. But it should still be at least like 200 meters. Yeah, we shoot with the um, SAAT. We do a three-tier range up to 300 meters. And then as a section weapon, normally with a light support weapon, we will be effective yep. at 500. 
Effective at about what range? The uh, same? So effective would be 300, but as a section weapon, uh, a combined firepower, we're looking at 500 meters to suppress. Yeah. So, like, uh, okay. Yeah, like, like, like you guys would have, like, I guess you guys call it the, either the IW or the L85. We had either the M16A2, and then our section weapon is either, for the Marines, it was an M60E3 or an M249 saw in a fire team. Now, in war gaming, for one fire team, or one squad, or like you guys are going to see in Panzer Blitz today, one platoon of tanks or a, a, a company of infantry to fire at a similar-sized force and put it down, that range is actually going to be a lot less because it's not one man shoots at one other man, get a percentile chance that's going to happen, roll that chance, see what happens, and then you know go from there. It's going to be, okay, like in Panzer Leader, I have a body of men, sometimes up to 30 or 40 or even 60 men in, in say, a, a platoon-based game, they're all going to fire at this other group of 30, 40, or 60 men. And what is the average, you know, range at which the average guy is going to hit an average target and, you know, that unit is going to be made combat ineffective. Um, that's where ranges get short in a lot of the war games. And people, you know, scream about range and whatever, and they say, this range isn't right. But if, if this game is one-to-one, -one, then, then I would just say that those ranges seem really short. Um, maybe not in Iraq, but definitely in Afghanistan, because Afghanistan has a lot of mountains, a lot of valleys, a lot of wide-open spaces. Um, a lot of the engagement ranges in Afghanistan are really, really long. And, um, you know, 30 inches um, at, uh, you know, uh, at 28 millimeter, uh, that doesn't sound like a whole lot. Uh, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I think um, um, I think whenever you're talking modern weapon systems at 28 mil, you're kind of looking at the pretty much the whole board. If you're stood in the middle, if you're stood in the middle, uh, of a, it's 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 140 feet. Yeah, that's yeah. not even yards. That, that's that's like 40 yards. Not even you know a little more than five. That's like 40. That's like 40 meters. Um, that doesn't sound uh, you know. Now, as far as like uh, what Ralph was saying before, uh, where you would have, okay, uh, a modern rule set can be um, very malleable and uh, very adaptable and can be plugged into many different settings. I think there's two major um, conditions that sort of uh, make that, number one, necessary, and number two, very possible. What makes it necessary is that modern wars are typically so small. Yeah. I mean, if you were going to come out with a book that is nothing but Afghanistan, Nothing but Afghanistan. You're not going to have a whole lot of. Um, I mean, if your if your gaming crew is really into Afghanistan, okay, maybe you'll have you know a good game for a while. But I think a game system has to bounce around between different different settings, especially when the average setting is very very small. I mean, the Gulf War. I built this this Gulf War army for Marines. I'm not pretty. You know, G was asking what rule system I'm going to you know use it for. I bought and built and painted these guys not really thinking about using them on the table because that war lasted 100 hours mm -hmm. you know <laughs> they're not going to be terribly mm -hmm. useful after that um they fought maybe th three major engagements um so again you know it's that, that that gets tough and that's part of what makes it um what was i gonna say that's part of what makes it very um very uh very necessary part of what makes it very possible is let's face it, modern war is basically two rifles. Um, it's Soviet 762 versus NATO 556 Remington or 556 NATO, and that's been in place since basically the 60s. 
I mean, once in a while you got like the, the British FNs or I guess the L1A ones, uh-huh. like we saw the Falklands or whatever. So, okay, maybe three. But um, yeah, modern, I mean, once you get, now you can get into the details, you know, how many light machine guns does a squad have? That's going to change between the 70s, the 90s, and the aughts. Or, you know, what kind of grenade launchers and, you know, what kind of anti-tank missiles and this, that, and the other thing. But to a large extent, modern warfare has technologically, if people think that modern warfare is about technology, it's not about technology. 95% of modern warfare is shockingly low tech. There have been entire wars in Africa fought with machetes. Um, like the big uprising in Mali and, and some of the other places, you know, there, there's in Kenya and there's, 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 it's, it's pretty low tech. And that actually helps us as gamers. And that, again, once you come up with a certain game system, you can then spread that game system out and you can plug it into a whole bunch of different, um, a whole bunch of different uh, settings. So a good modern setting, a good modern rule set that is supposedly its home base might be Afghanistan. There's no reason you shouldn't be able to use that against cartels in Colombia or the triple border or in uh, who knows where fighting insurgents in the Philippines, Iraq, Syria. Again, it's probably going to be some sort of NATO based 556 millimeter NATO weapon, the IW, the, uh, the FA, um, I'm sorry, the FN, I should say, um, the FNC, the M16, the AR-15, M4 carbine. M4 is, I mean, it looks very different. And I mean, look at the receiver, look at the bolt carrier group. And M4 is basically a cleaned up M16. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It um, it's, it's, it's just the M16 with different furniture on it. Um, and that weapon has been, has been tweaked and modified, but it's been effectively unchanged since I think the late fifties. Yeah. We're talking uh, the first, first we transitioned and, you know, yeah, again, we've had some minor changes to the weapon system, but it is still the weapon system we've been using since probably nineties yeah. now. So it's, it's definitely our bread and butter system. Actually, we're due for an upgrade. Uh, we're starting to see the third generation come out, which is a, a very different beast. Uh, although it's staying at the same caliber, uh, it should be. Okay, upgrade. I was going to ask. The only thing that might fundamentally change with us, and Gene, maybe you can talk about this. Uh-huh. Um, this has been going on since the mid-2000s, since like the second or third year of Iraq. Um, people have been talking about going to either this, this is a little off the topic, but a little bit, uh, going to, uh, the 6.8. Yep. All right. So either 680 SPC or the 6.8 Grendel, they want like a heavy assault rifle round. It's like not quite as big as a, as a machine gun round, but going from 556 millimeter or 223 Remington, whatever you want to call it, and not going all the way to a 30 caliber 762, like the FN or the AK or pretty much any 30 caliber round, yeah. the old M14s, they want to go to the X, the, uh, the 6.8. And I'm, I've never fired one, so I don't know how they work. Um, I don't know. I don't know if anyone has any. Uh, that's the only major thing that I've heard as far as a, a, a dramatic shift in uh, the kind of weapons that we would see in a... a like a, a skirmish infantry game as far as nope it's pretty much just going to be soviets with 545 or 762 and the americans slash british slash you know all the other nato allies with um 556 and then the 762 yeah with, with their with their heavier machine guns yeah. yeah yeah it's it's interesting i you know again um looking at these rules and thanks ralph for sharing the screen so jim you should be able to see the rule page too yep i do see it thank you uh-huh um so 
I got to remember, you know, like, again, I'm going to put a caveat on this. This is meant as a gameplay. It's not meant as a historical recreation. It's meant for people to put miniatures on a table and play a game, you know, with the modern theme setting. It's just that when you look at some of the stuff, when you're looking at modern scenarios and rule sets, um, some of the things just seem a little different. Um, so one of the things is... If you go to the next page, uh, Ralph, I believe it's on the next page, the two-hit table. Or no, leave it right there. I'm sorry. Mm. This one, right. Yeah. Do, do, do. There you go. So oh, that one? We lost you here. Hold on. But there's the two-hit table. Um, for moderns, you need a six. Is it a six to kill? Uh, let's have a look. Fire charge. Yeah. Uh, uh, coalition uh, gets to use a D6. Insurgents use a D10 die. So, Jim, you ready for this one? So, Hold on. Okay, you need a 6. To kill. You need a Stable. 6 to kill somebody for a fatal There it is, Adri. Control full screen. All right, I'm trying to get it to where I can actually see your screen. I had it for a second, and now I'm losing it. Open conversation. Okay, um... So I'm trying to think here. Uh, yeah, I'm guys, sorry, you were saying, okay, you need a six to kill? The guys yeah. who designed the rules have based uh, the yeah. actual dice roll system on two different dice, one for the insurgents, yeah. uh, D10, and one for coalition, D6. Uh, this, that's is very, helped this, is, this, is, to, this is very, very force on force. So yeah, far. It's, um, yeah, it's actually helped to sort of tier the two forces in their success and their ratios without having to do too many um, percentile calculations. So the dice do the work for you to give you that mix yep. of these are uh, better trained, better equipped than the other guys. Yeah. So, I mean... But my, surely my, my the larger dice is, would be better trained. Well, again, it, you're talking about a professional military these days. They're not drafted soldiers. These are volunteer yeah. professionals. So in the coalition column, 50% of your shots are going to be misses based on this dice roll. You're going to wound on... Four to five, you know, roll of four to five, and then you're only going to kill on a roll of a six. A professional military, those would be unacceptable standards if you're missing 50% of your shots. Especially in an operational theater. Yes. That actually well, makes sense, well yeah. The, the, amount, the amount of bullets that actually find their target yeah. in almost any conflict is like less than 1% of 1%. It's insane. Um, so, yeah, I, I would actually... Uh, I would actually. So wait, you need a six, and the coalition is rolling a d10, and the uh, insurgents are no. rolling a d6. No, no, no. The, the the coalition rolls a d6. The insurgents roll a d10. And now on a d10, you need a ten to kill for an insurgent, an eight or nine to wound, and one through seven's a miss. Oh, I'll share okay. the screen again, Jim, because the, the screen sharing just uh, stopped. So you should have it back. Okay, cool. All right, no, I, I did. I didn't. It doesn't sound much like like force on force. Force on force has a set target number, a straight out target number. You need a four to do something uh -huh. or whatever, you know. And uh, the insurgents will roll a d6, and a trained soldier will roll a d8. A good trained soldier will roll, you know, like like a you know British para, uh, American Marine, an 82nd Airborne, will roll a d10. And then your true, like, tier one operator, like, complete badasses will roll a D12. 
So again, that target number never changes, but the size of the dice change. Obviously, the bigger dice has a much better chance of hitting uh-huh. that uh, success number or whatever. Then there's modifiers. So things that become straight out impossible for insurgents to do, a uh, a D12, you know, green beret can do relatively easily because um, it's you need a D4, but plus one difficulty, plus one difficulty. You, what you actually need is a seven. Well. A D6 insurgent can literally not do that. You can't roll a 7 on a D6. Right. Meanwhile, the insurgent, the, I'm sorry, the SAS guy or the Green Beret can roll a 7, eh, like 50% of the time. You know, it's a tough thing. Maybe he can do it. Maybe he can't. Um, but you're using two different dice, and you have different target numbers, it sounds like, uh, in this game. Does that sound accurate? Yeah. 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 Okay. All right, yeah, so then they're, they're, what they're just aiming at then is different probability curves. Um, a little more original as far as, you know, comparisons versus force on force. Um, so that's good. You know, uh, and I, I, I kind of see what they're aiming at there. Uh, one of the things I, I keep comparing it to force on force. Um, one of the things I liked about force on force, and it sounds like this game is doing something very similar is when you're playing, you know, uh, operators of any kind, soldiers, you know, trained regular military versus an insurgent down to the basic DNA of the game, the D six versus the D 10, you really should be playing two different systems. And I know that sometimes thanks for a clunky game system. Force on Force does suffer from that a little bit, but that's kind of the point is you really are playing two different games um, with different victory conditions and different targets to hit and different size dice and different hit tables and different, you know, totally different rules. What happens to a casualty in Force on Force is radically different, whether it's an insurgent or a trained operative or whatever. Um, this is kind of the stuff we were playing around with in our Valorant Victory games, Janum. You know, mm-hmm. an NVA guy was hit. I just took the NVA guy off the table. A Marine was hit, or a Special Forces uh, guy was hit. You now replace yeah. him with a casualty counter. Someone's got to go get that guy. Um, it's a totally different rule set that only applies to one side of the, of the, of the group, or the one side of the game. And it sounds like that's what they're doing here. Um, whether or not they can make that work in a game setting, again, I, you're going to have to you know try the game out. Right. Uh, and I know it sounds like uh, we've got some impressions of the game already, but again, um, and I, you, to your credit, you said you, you know you, you keep reminding everybody that you haven't tried it yet. Yeah, I would say I know it sounds very obvious, but I would say you know try the game. Yep. When I when I first read Battle Group, I thought it was going to be terrible. You know, I read the rules. I was like, oh my god, this is all based on you drawing counters out of a box. <laughs> this, this is going to be totally random. And then you know. Whether or not this happened, you roll to see if the vehicle gets repaired. When this happens, you roll to see if that, you know, it's like there's too many dice rolls and there's too many counter draws. This is going to be a complete, uh, you know, demolition derby. I mean, it might be fun, but it's going to be a beer and pretzels game. It's going to be, you know, it's it's completely random. There are so many in there that the aggregate probabilities all level out. And you get all these bell curves. The game is built largely on bell curves. And you wind up with very realistic results, very stable results. Where once in a while these crazy things happen, just enough. It's not like some other games that I won't mention where crazy stuff happens all the time. And when I published Dark Star, people took one look at that rulebook and they're like, "Oh my God, this rulebook is like 160 pages long. There's no way I'm going to get through this." I'm like, "Read the first 20 pages and get, just get through your first couple turns." And you know, the, the point is, the rulebook can lie to you. Yep. So it it might look silly. Um, or it might, there may be parts of the rule book, you know, you're just reading it off the PDF where it doesn't look right. But um, I've, I've been surprised before where I said, okay, I'll try it. And then you sit down and you go to play it. And before you know it, you're actually, wow, this is actually pretty fun, you know. 
Um, writing a rule book is hard. I mean, I'm sure Gaskin yeah. supports on that the one. The amount of free you know, and playtesting that's yeah, required yeah. over time. And even then, you still don't catch everything because you're in a mindset where you understand the rule. So even though you're writing it the best way you can, it can still sometimes be interpreted outside of how you would. So yeah, 100%. One thing I like about the firing system in this is it actually has three different types. Uh, some I'd like to mention. It has deliberate fire. Um, it has um, a form of section fire to suppress enemies, as well as to hold fire and watch and shoot, which is a form of overwatch, where yep. you'd be put into almost an OP or a good firing position, and it'd be anything crosses his path that's carrying a long barrel, short barrel weapon system needs to be engaged. Um, so it has catered to that... Um, you know, small, more skirmish-based game system rather than just I shoot, you shoot. You can even lay guys up and, and you know, force your opponent to really think about how they're going to manipulate and move around the terrain. Because if you cross into a bad field of fire, you, you know, you're going to get some good news. You know, almost any good working, I say this a lot, I'm going to put it on a shot glass. You do not shoot during your turn. You shoot during the enemy's turn. And you move during your turn. You should not be able to move and shoot in the same turn or at least that one unit. This is what I was saying about Pains Leader. Please make sure you guys use the opportunity <laughs> for this. Um, yeah, so I, in order for any kind of a modern game, or even World War II game, you got to have some sort of, you can call it reaction fire, ambush fire, opportunity fire, overwatch. You can call It has 100 names. It's all basically the same thing. It's the enemy's turn. He's moving right in front of me. Am I really going to sit here with my thumb in my ass, or am I actually going to do something about it? And the game has to be able to accommodate that. Yeah. They've actually uh, keyed in quite a bit for smoke as well, which I like. Because, again, yep. uh, visual yes. you know, denying and fog of war and such is something that sometimes is missing from the odd game. Yeah. Uh, I'll hold my hand up and say that's one of the big things with Spectre. Smoke is your friend. Well, smoke yeah. is your friend on any battlefield, to be honest with you. So, yeah. yeah. It's hard with, to hit what you can't games see. Yeah. With so. the Spectre games, that's one thing I learned with Spectre. When yeah. the first the first couple of games I played with yeah. Spectre, and, and it was like, oh shit, he's just he's just gone into Overwatch. I'm knackered, you know, because there's Overwatch rules in there as well. And yeah. it's like, oh crap. How did the yeah. smoke work on so, those 88s yeah. that were overlooking the Vol River when you were trying yes. to cross the <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, and again, I don't want people to think I'm ripping on this rule set because I'm not. I'm just, these are some initial impressions. Um, you know, I will play it and I'm, I'm hopeful that it will have a good time at it. I know we will, you know, it's, it's a game when it comes down to it, you're moving minis on a table. I, I'm looking at it from a very fine microscope of realism. And I, I think I need to pull back from that focus point. Um, you know, it's just little things here and there that just from a per professional military standpoint, just didn't make sense to me. Um, you I know, know the range was a big struggle, wasn't it? Yeah. The range of the weapon systems. But when you think, think about think 30 part, inches sorry, on a skirmish level game, uh -huh. you, this might be on a 3x3 three three board, and you've deployed 6 inches on. Yeah. So at that point, your weapon has the range of the board. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, force on force was usually a 2 or 3 two or three feet on the side, Yeah. and that was usually 20, uh, 20 or 28 mil. Um I usually played it in 15. I usually underclock a scale by at least one click or whatever. Um, but all that said, I think miniature tables, I think miniature games have a uh, challenge when they're writing the rules in that they don't really control what the player is going to put on the table. Right. So if you are just going to set up a quote unquote realistic desert table, um, 
where it's like, okay, here's your table. I have a big sand colored piece of plywood that's eight by four. And uh, there's a one bush on this side. There's one bush on that side. That's my desert. You know, welcome to most deserts. No, the game's not going to work very well because you're going to have these 30-inch ranges. But what most people, I think, do is um, they're like, oh, I got this great terrain. I got this great terrain from Blackside Studios. I got this great terrain from here. I made this. And they want to put all that on the table. Before you know it, the table gets very crowded. Mm-hmm. And I think in a crowded table, this um, these ranges are going to um, impact the actual gameplay a lot less. Because, yeah. um, I mean, you can write whatever inches you can put all kinds of numbers before that inch number that inch you know uh, symbol you want on on your on your charts none of it matters when the player you know loads up with too many tables or not too many but with a lot of tables bushes trees you know night fighting rules who knows what else um it's going to be you know th- those ranges are going to be you know are, are subject to the whim of the player in any event yeah and remember this is based on the early afghan insurgency 2002 sort of to 2006 the most of the engagements were on the edge of wadis where you had these deep irrigation ditches where you had compounds you know there, there was yeah. quite a bit of heavy terrain heavy cover at the point where the you know they would come under fire uh, and it would be from just a tree line you know it's 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 actually well, quite fitting for a lot of the stuff that looking through here. the photos that ralph is scrolling through on the screen share uh, which i finally do see um yeah i would agree you can almost like see the you know when you're writing these kind of rule books um you also sort of can read into the photos. The photos sort of show what kind of tables, because the writers know that players are looking at the pictures. Yeah. You know, and they're like, "Ooh, look at the pictures!" Mm-hmm. They'll look at every picture three times before they read the first word of the rule book. Exactly. Um, perfect. Here, here's a sample map. That's a pretty crowded map. Um, and what they'll do is uh, they'll sort of suggest, even if almost I don't want to say subliminally, but <laughs> they'll be like, "Hey, these are the kind of tables we want you to set up." And um, yeah, a lot of these tables like are, are, are pretty uh, are pretty chunky as far as you know these big sandstone walls, wadis, brush, you know things like that. Yeah. Um, a lot of Afghanistan you know, isn't really a desert. Uh, it's certainly not like a desert like Libya, Egypt, World War II kind of a desert. Um, there's a lot more um, overgrowth. There's a lot more terrain. There's a lot more mountains. Afghanistan is very mountainous, obviously. Yeah, the topography is um, big there. Even on the flat so, areas, you get big drop-offs yeah. and dead ground. And... Yeah, flat, flat in air quotes. Um, yeah, there's definitely some, um, definitely a lot of terrain to break up uh, lines of sight that might mitigate this, uh, or might even just make it a non-issue, this whole mm-hmm. thing with I tell you what, does remind me of a bit as well is is looking at the maps and some of the pictures and stuff is the uh, Sangin. Yeah, yeah. And and you know the pictures that skirmish that um, Colin put in skirmish Sangin yeah, and some of the maps as well because yeah, that definitely. was very much you know compounds, wadis, you know, uh, ploughed on non-ploughed fields and stuff like that. So a lot of their maps were similar sort of thing. So I'm wondering if they're both sharing that. Time period, which I well, think they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same specific. Sankin is a specific province in, yeah. in uh, Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. it's it's early Afghanistan. Yeah. Yeah. It's not so like the end. We're still flying in and out and taking small arms and stuff, you know, in 2014. It's the exact same there. time period, the exact same battle, almost the exact same battlefields, yeah. the same scale. Yeah. Uh, a game, you know, skirmish, infantry base, you know, usually 28 millimeter log. Yes, this game is scalable. Um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of similarities. This would be great for the Alamo, where the Royal Marine Commandos went into a city full of insurgents 
set up in a yeah. building and then just held it until they built the base there. You know, that type of game would be fantastic using this rule set. There you go. There's a scenario to play. So, um, you know, we're going to try and get a very quick intro game into it. Again, I, you know, if I come across overly critical, I apologize. I don't mean to. It's just I like to point out some of the things where my real world experience kind of counteracts some of the um, rules. And again, I got to remember this is a game that's not meant as a military tactical simulation. Um, so, you know, you have to balance gameplay with realism and accuracy. And I'm not saying this is inaccurate in any means. It's just, you know, you gotta, it's, it's hard, isn't it, guys? When you write a rule set to yeah. balance, um, playability with, you know, the storytelling or, you know, in historical, you know, at, you know, how do you get it to seem realistic, but playable? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the casualties in this can be tier one, tier two, tier three. That's straight out your flip charts yeah. for being on operations. Yeah. You know, your decision-making processes. You've got pretty much every option to put in here what you would have in a real military scenario. Uh -huh. But that's very difficult without slowing down the game, without yeah. adding overcomplication. And the joy of this is, because he's tried to cover absolutely everything, you can take out what you need to to streamline the game to how you wish to play it. Mm -hmm. But it's all there as a tool. Yeah, so uh, be very interesting. So, by you know, working work in, work in general, this is going to be a super general uh, statement, but I think this is particularly applies to uh, modern wargaming. Um, almost, I don't want to say suffers, but, but yeah, suffers from one big uh, contradiction, one big catch 22. Yes, it's a war game, and as a war game, game, its main objective is to be fun. As a war game, it's trying to recreate something that is probably the least fun thing in the entire spectrum of human experience. Right. I mean, war yeah. is not fun. No. So you have to, you know, it, it, it's almost like the game, like the your basic premise is going in two different directions. Um, I don't want to get overly philosophical about it, but you're trying to make something fun that recreates something that is absolutely not fun and still be realistic to a point. So yeah, sooner or later, yeah, realism's got to be set to the side. Um, obviously that said, um, I'm looking through these charts here and, uh, if I'm reading this right, again, it's kind of scrolling through. Um, it looks like they have, uh, I'll just say American rifles or NATO rifles and AKs on the same table. And I don't know, um, I guess if those are the lighter AKs, like the AK 74s, the 545s, mm. that might make sense. But I mean, your choice of rifle we can all talk about like 50 different kinds of rifles. What matters more than the rifle is the ammunition. Yeah. Uh, as far as how far it goes and how hard it hits and how accurate it is. You basically have two ammunitions in the world, <laughs> really. Some sort of 556 and some sort of 762. Okay, the Soviets are 545, but whatever. Basically a light assault rifle and a heavy assault rifle slash light machine gun. And if they're putting the, 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 the Soviet AKMs, the 762s, on the same table as the... Uh, the NATO 556s or whatever you want to call it, 223s. That's kind of weird. Um, I would almost put those on two different tables. That's one of the few distinctions I think most games would make. Um, the AK 762 usually hits harder, yeah, uh, but doesn't go as far and it's not as accurate. And then of course you've got the the flip side of that, which is the you know the, the 556, which tends to be more accurate up to a point. It gets uh, the, the American 556 or whatever, yeah, the, the 223 is very accurate until it's not. 
because it's such a light round. It's a light, fast round. And most ballistic tables in most games take, take that into account. Um, but, the, you know, I don't know if this game does or not. Because it says AK slash, um, you know, M4 slash IWs or whatever, and they're all in the same row. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, when they say AK, I'm not sure if they're talking about AK-74s or the, the more traditional AKMs. Um, I would put AKMs on a different row. Give them maybe a shorter range but higher attack value and uh, reverse that for the other ones. Um, yeah, they have the M16 again. and the AK-47 on the same. Okay, yeah, that, that sounds a little strange. Yeah. I, I will say that. I will uh, say that slightly. Um, it's, a, it's a minor nitpick. Um, but given the amount of uh, variety that you don't have, you know, uh, modern warfare is not World War II, where everyone has a different weird, wacky, you know, firearm tank. Some armies are carrying SMGs, and almost exclusively, some armies are still carrying bolt-action rifles. When the time we get to the modern era, everyone's got an assault rifle, four-man fire team, some sort of light machine gun in there. It's almost like the apex of evolution. Everyone's pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. So any difference that you can use, I, I would say, you know, where it is uh, um, appropriate, that would be one of the few places I would say that it would be appropriate. Other than that, bracketing your weapons together, like I see here on this weapon stats charts table, that makes complete sense. Absolutely. I think I would just have like I would just take assault rifle and have like heavy and light assault rifle or yeah. something. Sure. Uh, that would be the only the only possible. But again, I haven't played the game yet. Yeah, that would yeah. be the only that would be the only possible thing that I would probably do there. I think an easy fix for that, without them having to dig into the rule book, would be for them to produce cards for forces. So you could just get a stat card that would have the because it's a section level uh, and down yeah. to fire team. They could produce a number of cards for you know even just the specialized units within that force. So you could just pull the card out and play it. But then if you wanted to make your own game, you could just use this as a generic. You know, system. Yeah, like in HK Ops, we have it broke down into basic categories. There's light assault rifle, which is basically a carbine M4. Um, same stats as the M16, but it's a role-playing game, so it has a different weight. Um, then we have like a medium assault rifle, that's a 556. Heavy assault rifle, that's an AK, and it's all based on calibers. Um, so I'm looking here at SA80 M16. I'll just say AK74. And then have another column or underneath there and just say, like, here's AK-47. Or if you don't want to make up a new chart, yeah, AK-47 minus one range plus one damage. If it's an AK, like you were saying, like something to do with cards yeah. or in a specific scenario sheet. And a lot of that's going to get washed out by uh, by uh, actual, you know, operator training. You know, who's it's like they used to say in the Marine Corps, it's not the dope on the weapon, it's the dope behind the weapon. <laughs> that really uh, determines whether or not anyone's going to get hit or not. Yeah. So... So when it comes down to it, the, the final determination of the game is, is it fun to play? Is it something you would play mm -hmm. again? Um, you know, do the rules bog you down or do they flow well? And uh, we'll have to come back on the next episode after we do a little play testing and see. Um, you know, again, this is an initial review and we're just, you know, some vets and gaming professionals, sort of, uh, you know, just breaking down a rule set. Because, you know, for, well, 50% of the people on the podcast today, we have not written rules. So, <laughs> you know, we don't have the appreciation that the two others who have created rule sets have. Um, you know, how difficult it is to create a good set of rules for a game. So, you That's know, my only, my only claim to the fame for... Uh, to what's that? That's something we should 
rectify as a, yeah. as a group. Well, the only know, claim to fame point. I can say for writing a rule set is uh, during the Team Yankee boot camp, I wrote the rules for helicopter deathmatch. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We actually had the Airwolf theme going for that. Yeah, I have to say, that was a really fun popcorn game. That was pretty good. Um, but, you know, I again, the guys at God's Eye Games uh, were kind enough to send us a review copy of Contact Front. If you're looking for a modern rule set, uh, new, you know, a new set coming out, definitely give these guys uh, a look-see. Ralph, you said somebody who's already got their hard copy. Is it out now, or is it... Uh... It's out, yeah. Okay. Um, Carl? Okay. You know, for yep. my friends who's in, there, this copy's being shipped all over. Okay. Uh, it's a softback. It's not a hardback book. It's a it's a softback. Oh, it's softback. like a spectacle. Okay. book. All right. Yeah. Um, Carl's got a copy, and there was one of the other guys on the modern miniatures. Let's have a look. I'll check. I've got Facebook open here. One sec. Uh, Carl. Yeah, there's a guy in, on the official okay. contract book Facebook group in America. Got his copy. So oh, excellent. The ship. All right. Well, I definitely will order me a, a copy. Uh, guys, again, this is just an initial, you know, looking at it under the fine microscope of, you know, some of the things. And again, it's not meant to nitpick. It's just things we point out, um, you know, as far as the challenges of writing a modern rule set, um, you know, because you're trying to get the balance of gameplay and is it fun? Is it, you know, can you play it fast? Um you know, does it bog you down in rules, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, I commend anybody who writes a rule set and publishes it. And these guys have done a really nice job in the format of the game. Um, the PDF looks very nice. Yes, it does. Um, and, you know, they've really hit on a lot of different tables and stuff like that. So now the, the thing comes, is it fun to play? So, you know, and... We're going to give it a dry That's run. That's the thing. I mean, it's the same with all of the yeah. root system business. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know. Is it fun to play? Yeah. You know, and, you know, this, and I want to think, you know, anybody uh, think that we're picking on or I'm picking on them. I'm not because I had the same microscope for skirmish. I did the same for um, Spectre. Spectre. Um, yeah. So, you know. Go ahead, Jim. When you have a fantasy or a sci-fi game, it's whether or not it's fun or not is literally the only hurdle. When you have yeah. a historical or even a modern game, there is an additional hurdle. Um, let's face it, most of the people that play your game are going to be people that are interested in this material anyway. They're going to know a little something about it. Yeah. And um, not to, you know, I'm not just, I think, I don't know if realism and whether or not the game is fun to play. Yes, they should be a little bit uh, separable, but they can't be entirely antithetical either because they do rely on each other a little bit. If you're playing a game in you know, Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, and it's not realistic and you're into this kind of material, you're not going to be having a lot of fun. You're going to be like, this is silly. You know, I'm wasting my time with this or yeah. whatever. So there, I mean... It's it's a balancing act. You want to you don't want to be a rivet you know a rivet counter or whatever the word is for it. You know you don't want to be you know that guy. Um, but at the same time, uh, with this with this subgenre, realism does play a role in whether or not the game is fun. A lot of language is thrown around the community where it's either realistic or fun, and it's okay if it's not realistic as long as it's fun. That's true. I'm not you know uh, disagreeing with that. I'm just saying that for this particular subgenre. Realism 
does feed into whether or not the game is enjoyable or not. Exactly. At the end of the day, it has to suspend a little bit of disbelief. And um, again, you don't want to get too realistic because it is a war. Um, but if it's not realistic at all, it's not it's not going to feel like you know yeah. a real game. It's going to be. I might as well be playing checkers at this point. Um, so yeah, it's they're they're related. They're just not completely interdependent, but they do. But they are related. Excellent. Well, guys, that's about the extent of our show for today. Uh, any final thoughts, Ralph? Nothing from me other than uh, I hope everybody did have a good Thanksgiving. And just to reiterate what you said at the beginning to all the service people that are serving and who can't be with their families, I hope they had a safe and wonderful time as well. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Jim, any final thoughts? I can't believe you're playing Panzer Blitz without me. I'm sorry. That's 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 it's going to be a long time before I get over that. Well, you know, if you had some way of doing it over the internet, we could play it that way. That's only if only I've done that before. Right? It's weird. Speaking of which, I kind of gave the group off tomorrow. I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow as far as a sit rep podcast goes. If you want to do anything tomorrow, G, let me know. I mean, if not, I'll come up with something. If not, I have some people coming over to game at four o'clock. Um, we're kicking Gaz out of the house early in the morning. Uh, he's going to head home tomorrow. Um, you know, if you have a couple hours and you have a, a lighter game you want to play, I'm up for a couple hours. Uh, yeah, just let me know, Jim. Okay. You know. Cool. Awesome. Uh, Gaz, thank you for... Have you crashed any recently, Jay? Uh, you know what? I have... I ordered the F-18 stick, so I now have that to add to my collection. Have I been able to play? No. Because Gaz has got me running around doing everything else. That's a lie. Day one I got here, you were playing that game. It was great to watch, because when you're looking for somebody trying to track a MiG-25 in a chair, you're just waiting for him to fall out of it, you know? <laughs> yeah. It was a lot of sky watching as she blew past this uh, MiG-25 and an A-10, and she was under lock, and she's like, where the hell is this thing? Not quite Top Gun, but not far off. <laughs> So, yeah, I finally figured out how to get a full-screen VR recording on OBS. So now um, oh, cool. when I do it in the next one, it'll look much better. Um, I'm learning slowly but surely, but uh, maybe in the future. So, Gaz, any final thoughts before you? Uh, no, I mean, it's been great to be here today. Thanks for having me on. You're and, welcome. Uh, I look forward to listening to more as well. All right. So uh, hopefully we'll get Gaz on as one of our other, you know, semi-regular hosts that can come in and give us his point of view from another games creator such as Jim and, you know, his real world experience. So to everybody out there, we want to thank you all very much for your continued support. Um, I wanted to do a quick acknowledgement to all of our uh, Patreon supporters, uh, to Anthony and to Bill and Chip and to Dawn and Dennis and Dylan and Federico and James and Jennifer and Kevin and Lawrence and Peter and Rasmus. Thank you all for your continued monthly support through our Patreon page, um, where you're starting to get a little nice little uh, fund going. And I can tell you that um, some new equipment is going to be coming to some of our regular producers to help them elevate their production capabilities. And we could not do it without your guys' support. So thank you very much to all of you Patreon supporters. Um, as always, uh, I send out a message to all our Patreon to get your mailing address because there will be a little gift coming your way here shortly. Uh, awesome. It might be a little official risky object of some type, you know, that oh, might no. involve alcohol or something. I don't know. I'm suddenly very thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> I 
So uh, we want to thank you guys all for your continued support. And again, we want to reach out and thank our um, sponsor, Black Sight Studios, for your continued support. We look forward to future projects with you guys. Um, as I think we're closing out our first cycle of their support for us here shortly. And then um, also to the guys over at God Eye Games and Contact Front. Um, you know, we appreciate you sending us over a review copy. And uh, we look forward to getting a play test run through. And we're reporting off on that uh, once we get it gone and done. And until the next time, this is G for everybody here at the command table. You guys have a great week of gaming, and we will talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.